0: So if you have your Bibles, we can find our way over to 1 John chapter 5. We are in the last chapter of this book, this profound book that we've been studying for, would you believe it's like going on six months? No. That we've been? Stu- <laughs> Who said yes? <laughs> it's my mother. <laughs> it's gone by fast is the right answer. Um, but yes, we've been studying this book for many weeks and months, and we are in the last chapter, so we're crawling our way to the end here. 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. 1 John chapter 5, we called the series for his glory and for our benefit. And that's our prayer every Sunday. Every Sunday that he would be glorified, his name would be lifted up, and his people would find the blessings and benefits we need to do what he's called us to do. The title of our lesson today is going to be called All We Need, All We Need. And it's just like we sang about this morning. We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, thankfully. Before we get there, though, do you ever wish you could invent things that would help your life, benefit your life with the troubles that you have, challenges that you have. Well, I wish I was an inventor. Is there any inventors out there, anybody who's invented things, or any entrepreneurs out there, things that people have hands? No, we have nobody like that in this <laughs> room. Okay, we're in trouble. So these things are just going to be pipe dreams, okay? I came up with, with ten inventions that I wish I wish I had. I wish that existed, wish that I could go out and buy at Walmart, but I don't think I can. These are the best two-in-one inventions that I came up with that I need for my life, two in one. Okay, they do two things at the same time. Number one is nail clippers that also have nail catchers. Oh yes. Anyone with me on that? Now, I don't know if this exists, but there are ten people in my family, and there are nail clippers flying all over the house. And I don't. want to. I don't want to arrive in one Sunday with an eye patch, and let you know that my child's toenail hit my eye and. Then, and I don't want that story. That's a weird story. So why don't they invent nail clippers that also catch the nail? That'd be ingenious. Seems like we, uh, we've we thought about that problem, but we, no, one sol- no one solved it. Here's number two, best two-in-one invention, is dressy slippers. Oh. Yeah. You know how on Sunday I look fantastic? <laughs> Little tongue-in-cheek. I also wish I felt fantastic. My feet, specifically. Because I like my shoes. I like the style of my shoes, but I love wearing slippers at home. I wish the two could be combined. If you find them, let me know, okay? A Christmas idea for you. Number three, you know how we have smart things, right? Everything is smart today. There's smartphones, smart TVs, smart watches. Well, I came up with three things that I want to see be smart, okay? Things that already exist are already good. I just want them a little smarter. Number one is a smart air conditioner. Oh. As soon as I feel heat. <laughs> one little driplet of sweat. I want that air conditioner to know me, and to turn on and say, I'm going to cool you down, Todd. I got that covered. Or oh, how about this one? A smart mute button. Right? For the times you're watching TV or not just TV, let's say life. I wish there was a smart mute mute button that you could just, your body would just automatically know. Shut those ears off. You don't need to hear that. And here's the last one. Smart potpourri. Here's another thing that happens in the Walker household is smells come in. And I'm going to be vague. Okay? But I wish we had a smart potpourri, a potpourri that just turned on the first sense of bad smell. So three smart things. Here's number four. I wish we had. You know, I wish we had a today phone, one of those smartphones that everybody has today. But I wish we had one with a physical keyboard. Many of you know that I liked my BlackBerry, and I, yes. I thought I was going to keep that till the grave, Estelle, and then it it crapped out of me. Can I say that? Here, yes, well, I did. It happened. And I couldn't use it anymore. And so I I had to give up the physical keyboard. And now I have a problem. I type a lot, texts, emails, and I end up sending things I don't want to send. So you guys might get a strange text or email from me one day and go, what? What did he mean? And I want to apologize in advance because I don't have a physical keyboard on my phone. If someone could invent a Today phone with a physical keyboard, you would make $100. (laughs) Because... I would be the one person that would buy it for $100. You would be a hundredaire. Here's number five invention I wish, to, wish existed is a text message and emoji translator. Anyone else? Now, I'm not the only bad one out there. Okay? I get some strange texts from you guys as well. And I often spend three hours just staring at the text going, what does that mean? What did that mean? I need a translator. Does someone come in and say, this is what they meant by that? Um, the emojis especially. Those things are big. Here's number six, a Bluetooth coffee cup heater. Let me explain. Yes, when I'm working in my office, when I'm studying, I have two problems that are happening at the same time. My computer is heating up because I'm I'm typing furiously on that thing, right? Studying furiously. And my coffee cup is getting cold. I want someone to figure out how to transfer those bad boys. From the heat of the computer to go to the heat, to the coolness of my coffee cup, that would be brilliant. If someone could figure that out, let me know. Here's number seven invention I wish, I wish existed, is a debit card. Now, before the service started, someone came up to me and told me that they've been frauded this past week, right? So sometimes your, your credit cards will step in for you and go, we got you covered. We got anti-theft protection on that credit card. Well, I want a credit card or a debit card with anti-tip protection. Because, you guys know when you go to a coffee shop and they spin that thing around and go, before you pay, we have a question for you. You guys never understand it. Yeah, they want, they want like 20, 25% tip for literally putting my coffee cup and handing it to me. I want to have one of those debit cards that skips right over that process. And uh, they just answered for me so I don't have to ask that awkward, what do I give them? How, this is worth it. Heather, you know, we've been there together. That happens. <laughs> Heather and I, we spend $15 on a cup of coffee. How about this one? Number seven, or number eight, excuse me. Now this is one that's specific to the North Country. I want moose radar, because you guys tell me they exist, but moose radar is not good enough. I want moose radar that comes with moose stun gun. Not to hurt them, okay? To paralyze them, temporarily. Because what happens is once I see a moose, and this happened the other week too, is Dave Merrill said, I found you a moose. I found it, it's by the highway, let's go, let's get in the car. He captured me, he kidnapped me right before his Sunday service, and he went to take me to the moose. And guess what? The moose was gone. The moose wasn't there. In fact, I think he was pranking me. (laughs) But if we could find a moose radar with a moose stun gun to keep the moose there so I can see the moose, that would be great. Here's number nine, also specific to the North Country, is I want fall colors with cool temperatures. It seems like our only options up here in the North Country are 80 to 90 degrees or steady rain all day long. (laughs) And you guys lied to me, okay? I'm I'm going to... I'm going to let you guys know that. You guys let me know that when I came up here, the North Country was going to be gorgeous in the fall. And it is gorgeous, but I want the weather to match it. And number 10 invention that I wish existed is a baby robot vacuum. When you have a lot of kids like I do, and the kids are crawling around and learning how to crawl and moving about the floor, sometimes I wish, and this is weird, that you could just strap a vacuum to one of them. And Janine was confused by that one, too. She goes, wait, you want them to pick up babies? No. I want the baby to pick up the crumbs. When they're moving about and learning how to crawl, they got a little tube connected to them, and they're picking up all the crumbs. Yeah, so you guys let me know which one is the best invention. I want some of those inventions made this week, okay? So you guys have homework. The the answer here that we're going to transition is, do you wish something had everything? Do you wish someone, thank you, Esteli. She cheated for us. But do you wish someone or something had everything? Well, someone does, and we're going to learn about him today. If you have your Bibles, join me in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to talk about someone today who has everything. In fact, he's all we need, according to 1 John. All we need. 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. Even though we're reaching the end of this wonderful book, I still encourage you to read 1 John once a week if you can. I believe it's been a very beneficial practice for myself, and I think it's going to be for you as well. So make that a continual practice until the end of this book. Our uh, passage today is 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. If you need a Bible, by the way, there are some back on the bookshelf that you can use. So please grab one of those Bibles if you need it. Listen to the Word of God. John says this. He says in verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar. Excuse me, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. All we need is where we're going today. If you remember our context from last week, which is going to really support what we're talking about this week, these verses that came right before this are really important to to us understanding what John is talking about today. And last week we talked about securing victory. It came from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. I want to include these verses simply to help support what John is saying today so we remember where he came from. In 1 John 5, verses 1 to 4, John said this. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we are including that last verse in our passage this this morning as well to help us understand what John is going to talk about today. So we have a three-point outline. Number one is the all-victorious one. Number two, it's the all-sufficient one. And number three, the almighty one. And we're talking about the same person in all three of these. Let's start with the all-victorious one. Do you like when your team wins? I don't know if you are a sports fan or enjoy sports or things like that, but isn't it fun when your team wins? Thankfully, we live in a part of the world where you guys have had a lot of championships. Boston sports specifically, right? Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, and Red Sox. You guys have won many different championships. And That's exciting when your team wins wins when the team that you've invested in the team that you've struggled with all season the team that you cheer for Ends up winning the championship and I've had that experience a few times in my life And that's really exciting when your team is the champion in fact the Patriots I feel like there was like 20 years where that's every year they won But isn't that cool when they put up a new banner or they give you a new little ring That's supposed to be a ring and a new trophy or you just simply win the glory from winning the championship. That's a beautiful thing when that happens, when it's your team when you win. But sometimes you don't win, do you? Sometimes you have to experience the agony of defeat, they call it. And this is when your team falls short of their goal. You want them to win. You, you struggle with them all season long, and then they fall short of winning the championship. And that's frustrating, isn't it? When your team doesn't win. But it doesn't just happen in sports. This happens in life as well. Sometimes there are victories. There are victories in this life that we've all experienced. And we love to tell people about those victories. Guess what happened this week? Guess all the exciting things have happened. So victories happen in this life, but also defeats happen in this life. And it's just kind of how this life is built. Sometimes we're up, and sometimes we're down. Sometimes we have the championship, and sometimes we're the loser of life. And that's another sad reality of this life that we live in. In fact, I found a quote from an 18th century poet And I'm not sure the exact intent of this quote, but I found this quote a little bit sad. This person said, The biggest thing in today's sorrow is the memory of yesterday's joy. Isn't that a little sad? That today's sorrow we're experiencing, all we have about yesterday, is a memory. Or you can even replace that word with yesterday's victory. Because victory in this world does not last long. In fact, if you're a sports fan and you watch basketball specifically... They will raise, let me go back to this picture here. They will take this banner up here and they will drop it for everyone to see on the first day of the new season. So your team won the last season, but the first game of the new season, they put a banner up for your team and everybody claps and cheers because your team is the champion. And then they start the new season. And I said to Janine the other day, I said, that's exactly how this world works. One day you're the champion and the next day it's a brand new season. Let's go find a new champion. Because the glory of this earth does not last very long at all. Thankfully, our Lord is not that way. And the scriptures are not that way. And Christianity is not that way. Because John says this. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, John told us he's not, he's not changing his message here. He told us in the last passage we spoke on, that it's the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ that overcomes the world. And now he tells us it's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, John's basically telling us the same thing because the Christ equates to the Son of God and vice versa. You can't believe one without believing the other. If Jesus is the Christ, he's the one that the Father, God the Father sent to this earth to be the Savior of the world. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then of course he must be the Christ. But I want you to notice this phrase, overcomes. Because he could have spoke about that in the past tense. Who was the one who overcame the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? But I like that he speaks about it in sort of a present, ongoing tense. This is supposed to be eternity, okay? And I think this is what John is trying to point out here. Is that the one who overcomes will overcome Forever, Isn't that beautiful? That your team doesn't have to experience victory one day and then loss the next. That if you are the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, then you will overcome always. And I think that's a beautiful thing to know. But notice this. Notice what John is saying. He's saying, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about Christians. Now, is John putting us on a pedestal is he saying something like this this is the strongest man on the earth competition is John saying something like this today that whoever has the strongest faith is the one that overcomes the world because that sounds a little bizarre that sounds a little bizarre especially when I know what the rest of scripture tells us that I'm the one that overcomes the world you are the one that overcomes the world our faith is so strong, so magnificent that we're going to win the prize in the last day well I don't think that's what John means In fact, I know it's not what he means because he would be contradicting the rest of Scripture. In fact, he'd be contradicting himself because John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, John himself is quoting Jesus Christ and he said this, in this world you will have trouble. Is that true? Does anyone have trouble? That's a true statement. In this world you will have trouble. We all experience trouble from time to time. That point, that part is absolutely true. But notice it doesn't end there. Because it says, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And who's, who's he speaking about there? Jesus. Jesus is the overcomer. Jesus is the one who overcomes the world. Not, not me, not you. But when John says, who is it the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world? Is he lying? Is he contradicting himself? No, he's basically telling us that when we have faith, we are on his team. He's our quarterback, for lack of a better term. He is our leader. He is our captain. He is the one overcoming the world. And if we're on his team, we also overcome the world because we're with Jesus. It's that simple. So John says, in this world you will have trouble. Or Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Because victory is coming. And that's a good reminder for me, I'm going to be honest. Because sometimes I see all the trouble and I miss all the victory. Maybe you're built that way as well. You notice the troubling things. The troubling things bother you. They keep you up at night. They, they uh, take all your energy and your joy away. But we forget the second half of that verse. That if we believe this... And those are the words of Jesus, then we better believe this as well, because those are also the words of Jesus. There is victory coming. In fact, Jesus speaks about it as if he's already attained this victory for us. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. And if you have faith in Jesus, that overcoming will happen to you and me. And that's a beautiful truth for us to know. So he says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's a condition. This victory does not come to everyone. This victory only comes to the one who says about Jesus that he is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one that God sent. He is God's only begotten Son. There is no victory for us today unless we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And we talked about this last week, this idea of overcoming the world. What does that mean? Because it sounds like maybe there's two teams joining up against each other. There's going to be Team Christian and team world and they're going to fight and, and one's going to overcome the other and the other one's going to be left on the battlefield all bloodied and, and beaten and dead. But that's not really what John is talking about. He's not talking about a physical encounter, is he? These are the things we talked about last week and I just want you to remind you of what John is speaking about when he says we overcome the world. Number one, if you overcome the world, we get to live for different things, don't we? Because this is a reality. The things that come with Jesus... Are better than the things the world has. Do you know that? No matter what the world can offer you, the things God offers you are better. We don't have to chase the things of this world. Our things are better than theirs. When we chase the things of God and the things of eternity, our things never fade away. They never spoil. They never are stolen from us. They last forever. And not only that, but they're soaked in the righteousness of Christ, which means they're good. And they're right, and God accepting. Number two is not finding our joy and confidence purely from circumstances. Because this is a sad part of the world, is they have joy, they have confidence when life is good. When life is up, their joy is up. When life is up, their confidence is up. But when life is down, their joy and confidence are down as well. And that's a sad thing to see, that's a th- sad thing to experience in this world is that you're up one day and down the next. But it doesn't have to be that way if you overcome the world with Jesus Christ because your joy and confidence come from what is a reality, that Jesus is your Savior, that you have a relationship with God the Father, that you have been set on the course to the kingdom of God. And therefore, your joy and your confidence can be stagnant, excuse me, can be constant and always there. And I'm I'm thankful for that. But it also means this, we have eternal hope. And I told you about the world's stuff, the world has stuff, the world has a lot of joy and experiences, but the sad thing about it is one day they're going to lose it all. They're going to experience a great loss when everything is taken away from them. Their position, their riches, their comforts, their toys, their happiness, their memories, one day they lose it all. So they're in the opposite spectrum, right? They're looking towards loss, we're looking towards victory. So that when we pass from this life we don't lose we don't suffer a great loss we suffer a great victory we experience a great victory and that's a beautiful thing to know is that our hope is there and right in front of us helping us to go forward number four our choices are fueled by love instead of by self-promotion and sadly that's how the world does even their love sometimes is promoted by uh, fueled by self-promotion But you notice our Lord Lord did not do things that way, did he? He did not come down self-promoting himself. He came down loving one another. And he said to every one of us, that is how you overcome the world. Follow my example. Love. Don't prop yourself up. Don't put yourself on a pedestal. Love one another and you will overcome the world because that's how Jesus did it. Number five, courage. We get to do something amazing. When we overcome the world, we get to stand up to fear. And fear permeates our society. In fact, it might be greater now than it's ever been before. And when you overcome the world, you could stand up to every single fear because you have Jesus on your team. And every fear bows to Jesus. Everything. So no matter what you and I are terrified of, that thing cowers in fear to Jesus. And Jesus is on our team. That's what John is talking about when he says we overcome the world. And that's the thing we need to remember, that we can have that simply by trusting in Jesus. And here's a picture of kind of what life feels like, right? At least it does for me. It feels like every day, every week, I'm being bullied by fears and anxiety. And I think if you were honest, that feels that that's how your life feels sometimes as well is that sometimes, no matter what's going on, no matter how good the good is and how bad the bad is, there's always a bully lurking. There's always someone trying to knock us down and make us feel insignificant and insecure. And I don't like when that happens. I don't like bullies. I don't like when my children are bullied. I don't like when I'm bullied. I don't like the loved ones that I have feeling bullied by life. And neither, neither does God. God doesn't want us feeling bullied. And we don't have to be bullied, do we? Because we're on his team. And what's so interesting is that Jesus has done something significant and profound to help us understand that this is a reality. Because the tomb of Jesus should be the number 1 tourist spot in the entire world, shouldn't it? Why isn't it? It's quite simple. Nobody's there. There's nothing to visit. There's no Jesus to visit. There's nobody there. There's no tomb to see. There's nobody. It's empty. It's vacant. And that's a beautiful thing to know about our Jesus is that one day when he was buried in a tomb, dead and evil thought they victored over Jesus, he arose from the grave and conquered death. And our Lord is alive today. He's not in a tomb, rotting. He's alive on his throne in heaven next to God the Father. And he's the one telling us today we can overcome the world because we're with him and he's alive. So the biggest bullies of mankind cannot bully us because we're with the one who conquered death. Scripture says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Well, you don't have victory anymore. Where, O death, is your sting? Well, it's been taken away. The sting of death, the victory of death, has been removed for all time by our Lord Jesus Christ, and you simply must be with Him to experience that victory over death. And that's an amazing thing to know. I hope you can say amen to that. But here's our bullies, at least some of them. The ones that we experience on a regular basis, the ones I experience on a semi regular basis are these right here anxiety, sorrow, pain, addiction, fears, and sin. Come on, Heather. She's just taking notes. But this is how it feels, doesn't it? And you can put us right there. Anxiety. Don't be embarrassed. Trust me. We're two seconds away from my tech malfunctioning. So, But isn't this how we feel? Anxiety, sorrow, pain, addiction, fears coming at us every single day. And it's like, how can I go on? How? I fought yesterday's battles. I barely won. Now I have to get up today and win them all again. I can't do it, God. I can't. And that's when Jesus reminds us that we don't have to. Because if Jesus defeated death, and death is the biggest bully of all time, then he could defeat anxiety. He could defeat sorrow. He could defeat pain, defeat addiction, defeat fears, and defeat every sin. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe that your Lord has conquered death? Do you believe that anything else is less than that and therefore easy for Jesus to conquer? And if you believe that, that means that you can go from being a victim, which is how we feel today, right? We're victims. We live in a victim society. If you're paying attention, you see that as well. Everyone seems to be a victim. And Jesus came down to do one very simple thing. He just wants to change two two letters, doesn't he? He wants to change it to a victor. So that anxiety and sorrow and pain and addiction and fears and sins are not your characteristics anymore because you're with him. And you can stand up to every single one of those, not because we're strong. I'm not strong. But every single day I can stand up to these and say, my Lord is strong and I'm with him and I'm on his team and he is the all-victorious one, our Lord Jesus. So, whatever it is, whatever your insecurity is, and we're going to put the biggest one here, John says, if you have faith, not just general faith, faith in religion, faith in there's a God, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will stand up and can stand up to all known bullies in this life and you can defeat them by His strength for His glory according to the commands and the prophecies of Scripture. And I hope that's a blessing for you today. But we must go on because He's also the all-sufficient One. There's another annoying thing about this world, is that sometimes we have adages like this, is you can't have your cake and eat it too. Do you understand what that means? That little adage means? I'm gonna replace it because I'm not the biggest cake fan, but Janine makes this, I told you. She makes this unbelievable banana graham cracker pie. And I have, have, as much joy as I get from eating that pie, there's a problem. That as soon as I have the pie, I get excited. And as soon as I eat the pie, I get excited. But when I eat the pie, the pie goes away. (laughs) And it, this adage is absolutely true. I can't end up having my pie and eating my pie. I either eat my pie and the pie goes away, or I keep the pie and I can't eat the pie. It's a problem, people. I want eternal pie. I just, no, I really don't, because I would be, I'm not sure the stage would fit me anymore. But you get the point, right? You get the point. We don't live in an ideal society, do we? You can have one thing, but you can't have everything, and that's kind of what our icebreaker was all about. In fact, in our world, we kind of end up doing this with a lot of decisions we have, don't we? We end up doing a pros-cons list. You guys ever done one of these? You've sat down with a decision you have to make and go, okay, let's weigh out the pros and cons because guess what? Everything has pros and cons, doesn't it? Everything. So let's just put new job up here. Okay, I'm not looking for a new job, by the way. (laughs) Don't get freaked out. This is just an illustration. But this is what we do with new jobs and things like that. We sit down and go, okay, all right, there's a pro, more money. Oh, yeah, but there's, I'm about to work greater hours to get that more money. So there's a pro and there's a con. Or, yeah, there's there's more respect, a higher position, but that also means more responsibility. And that's just how life is built, isn't it? Pros, cons, you weigh them out and go, okay, there's one more pro or two more pros and cons. I guess that means I should do it. And that's a sad reality that it's built this way. Let's change this a little bit. Let's put up here north... Country, because I actually had to make this decision one day. Right, my family actually had to decide on whether we were coming to the North Country and the pros were all about the same. It's pretty, um, but it has atypical weather. So that's a con. Oh, it's pretty. It's, we just kept going back to that. But yeah, there are ticks. It's pretty. I mean, it's it's very pretty place. We should probably go there. Oh, but there's no moose. I didn't know that by then I didn't know that right then I thought there were moose so that's why I came Um, but isn't everything built that way and you would agree with me everything in this life is either a pro, a con or a a wane out of the two and I feel sad that that's the reality that we live in but it is, it is most things in this life are a pro or a con or a combination of both this is what's so profound about our Lord Jesus Christ is that he's everything we need. And I mean everything we need. Now, I'm going to pick apart a verse that's a little bit challenging. In 1 John, if you've been with us for this 1 John study, most of 1 John is straight shooting, isn't it? I mean, it tells you exactly what you need to learn, exactly what you need to understand, exactly what you need to produce, and it hits you right between the eyes, and you go, okay, John, I get it. I will listen to your words. But then we come to verse 6 in chapter 5, and this verse is a little bit more challenging. John says, this is he. Who's he talking about? Yes, he's talking about Jesus. In fact, he tells us that. So we're very clear that he's talking about Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Now, what are you talking about, John? Most of 1 John is straight shooting right between the eyes. This one's a little bit more challenging, so you've got to do a little bit of digging to understand what what he's talking about. Well, ideally, I mean, this is what Jesus John is telling us, is that Jesus is everything. He's everything. He's flesh, but he's also spirit. And some people have called him the God-man, or 100% God, 100% man. There's a lot of ways to try to explain it to your own mind. But ideally, that's what John is telling us today, that he's both flesh and spirit. And that's important. Did you know that? That's very important for Jesus to be both flesh, blood, and spirit. And that's what he's talking about with the water. Jesus is the one who called himself the living water. And he's not talking about physical water, right? He's not talking about that. If you just take a bottle of physical water and drink and you will have eternal life, no, that's not going to do it. We need something spiritual, don't we? And Jesus says, I am the spiritual water. I am the living water. I am the water that if you take of this water, it can cleanse your soul. It can give you new life, new birth. It can raise you from death to life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, I am the living water. So Jesus is spirit, and that's a beautiful thing to understand. It says in John 4.14, the same author, whoever drinks the water that I give him, Jesus says, will never thirst. Doesn't mean physical thirst. You will thirst physically at times but if you drink of Jesus' water, you will never thirst spiritually. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water, welling up to notice it, eternal life. And John's going to talk about that more the next time we speak on this, is how important eternal life is. But Jesus came to offer us eternal life. He came to offer us living water that can satisfy us spiritually for the rest of time. Isn't that enough? That Jesus just came to give us spiritual water that it wells up to eternal life? Jesus, that's all we need. Just give us water and we'll be good forever. In fact, why didn't Jesus just do it that way? Why didn't he just open up a portal, spiritually speaking, for us to receive this water and for us to enter into the kingdom of God? He doesn't have to come to earth. Jesus, if we just need the water, just send the water. Send the water to us. We'll take the water, spiritually speaking, and we'll live forever forever. You don't have to get off your throne, Jesus. Just do it this way. Do it spiritually and we'll live forever. But we know that's not good enough, don't we? We know that wasn't enough. We know that spiritual water was not the only thing we needed. In fact, John has already talked about this. Because when he told us in 1 John 4 to test every spirit, he said this is the way that you know if a spirit comes from God or if a spirit comes from the Antichrist. And notice what he says. This is the the catalyst. He says, "This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges—need to cross that out. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming, and now is in the world already. Jesus came in the flesh." That's how you know whether you're listening to the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist, whether they say Jesus has come in the flesh or has not come in the flesh. That's how important that phrase is that Jesus came not only by water, but also by blood. And we've talked about this when we talked about communion that without the blood of Jesus, there is no redemption, is there? Without Him shedding His blood for our sins, without that payment on the cross for the sins that we have committed, there can be no redemption. Jesus had to come in the flesh. And Jesus was not flesh before he came to this earth. He was spirit, just like our God is. He had to put on flesh. He had to take on humanity. He had to become his very own creation. And then had to take that precious, spotless blood and let it spill out of his body on the cross. And if he didn't do that, we would not have the spiritual water. We could not taste of the spiritual water. We could never drink of that water that leads to eternal life because we were in our sins. And God and and sin do not fellowship, do they? Darkness and light do not have any interaction with one another. So we had to have payment for that sin. And thankfully, Jesus did come. Jesus did put on humanity. Jesus did take that precious spotless blood and spill it. So that you and I could drink of that eternal water and live forever. In fact, Hebrews says it this way, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's a great idea to have eternal life. It's a great concept. It's something everyone really wants if they were honest. Everybody wants to live forever in a place of righteousness and godliness and truth and love. Where there's no darkness, no sin, no death. Everybody wants that. But there's only one way to accomplish it. Blood. Blood. Jesus had to shed his blood because it was either Jesus was going to pay for our sins or we were going to pay for our own sins. God does not wink at sin. He does not take sin and sweep it under the rug. Sin must be paid for. So although Jesus wanted us to taste of the eternal spiritual water, he had to come in blood as well. And what's interesting, an interesting parallel, and, and this is something if you look closely you can see, even though John is talking about Jesus coming, you can see the parallel of Jesus dying when the two come together. Because on the cross in John chapter 19, when Jesus is hanging there on the cross, it says when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. And they were amazed that he was already dead because you were supposed to be there for days dying on the cross. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, yes, you can scientifically explain that. I'm sure you can. Ask a scientist or a doctor, and they could come up for an answer for why there was blood and water coming out. But if you notice the parallel of what John is saying, you see it, don't you? Jesus came in blood and water. So that we not only would have our sins Paid for, but we could drink of that eternal water and be nourished for all time. And you have to remember the centurion was able to witness this. He was the one who put Jesus on the cross. He was the one seeing the sky go dark and Jesus dying very quickly and the blood and the water gushing out from his side. And he came to this conclusion this is not a mere man. This is not a mere man we just destroyed, just crucified. This is the Son of God. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the Christ. And he just paid for the sins of the world. So John says, This is he who came by water and blood. And we better be thankful that he came in both. Because if we have blood only, we don't live forever. We have our sins paid for, but we go right back to sinning, right back to death. If we have only water, but no blood, we have no payment for that sin, and we can't drink of the water. But Jesus came by water and blood. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. And there's a third thing to throw on top of that. Going, He just didn't come by water and blood, but he came by the Spirit of God's testimony that he is the Christ. And here's the significance we need to wrestle with and grapple with today, is all three of these are significant for our soul, is that Jesus came by water because we needed spiritual eternal life. We needed something that transcends this life on earth. I didn't need 15 more years of physical life. I didn't need a thousand more years of physical life. I needed eternal spiritual life with my God who created me. And only the water of Jesus could provide that. But why the blood? We needed a proper representation. Someone from our own tribe, someone who could pay for our sins and could fellowship with us in the valleys that we face in this earth. And guess who can? Jesus can. Because he came by blood as well, he came in flesh as well to experience everything that we experience and then to pay for our sins. As our perfect representative. Why the Spirit? Because we needed God's stamp, didn't we? We needed His stamp of approval that this is the way to Him and the way to eternal life only Jesus. And God stamped His Son. He came in water, He came by blood, and He came with the Spirit of God's declaration that this is my Son. This is the Christ. And He is the Son of God. So John says in verse 7, there are three that testify. Do you notice the other parallel? Three. What should that remind you of? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three all agree with one another. That what? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ Christ. So they all come together. They all agree with one another. They all support one another that Jesus is the Christ and there is no other. We need to not look to anyone else or wait for anyone else. Jesus came by water, by blood, and with the spirit of God's testimony. Therefore, he is the Christ. And God made sure that we knew it. You can't stand before God on the last day going, I didn't know. No one told me that Jesus was the Christ. That's not going to work because he came by water. He came by blood. He came by the spirit of God. The scriptures have been handed all over this world so that we would understand that Jesus is the Christ and God declared it. This makes Jesus the all-sufficient one. Because of the Spirit, God declares that Jesus is the Christ. God has said it. John 3.16 Whoever believes will not perish but will have eternal life if you believe in Jesus But the blood, our senses, also declare that Jesus is the Christ. There's proof. There's actual proof that Jesus is the Christ. There were 500 witnesses that saw him alive after he died. Our senses also declare that Jesus is Christ, but our soul also knows it because our soul pants for Jesus and only Jesus. Did you know that? For many years in my life, I was trying to fill this massive void in my life with something that the earth could give me. I'm going to go get married. I'm going to go get this job. I'm going to chase these feelings. And I realized that the void was never full. And then the the light bulb went on one day and it said, it has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. And then I found that Jesus. Or that Jesus found me. And he filled that void. And that void has been full ever since. God's spirit tells our heart and mind that Jesus is all we need. God declares it. Our heart and mind agree with God's spirit based on the clear evidence set before us. And our soul longs for nothing short of only what Jesus can offer us. The three are agreeing with one another. And that's a beautiful relationship that God has done. And Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon said this. He said, a cord of three strands is not easily broken or quickly torn apart. Right? A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You're probably wondering, why is the suspension bridge up there? This is the one in Littleton. Um, my children love walking across this bridge because it moves, it's that simple you go on the bridge and it sways a little bit and they're a te- little terrified but at the same time it's like a little ride <laughs> and so when you have a family of my size 10 people walking across that bridge it takes a little bit of time and I noticed that by the, by the end of the time that I was walking, I was the last one on the bridge to cross I noticed that my kids were playing with the big ropes the big steel things that hold it hold the bridge and I was a little nervous going guys, maybe we shouldn't do that then I started to realize how dumb I was because the ropes were made out of steel and there were three strands tied together. And that quickly dawned on me that I don't think my five year old can rip down this bridge. But I was thankful for that because I was on the bridge when that happened. And it's proving this passage in Ecclesiastes that a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Do you love how God interwove them? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Jesus is the Christ times three. No matter what angle you look at it from, Jesus is the Christ. Because this is not a suspension bridge over the Ammanusik River, is it? What are we banking this on? Our eternity. That's a big thing to stake this on. If we're wrong, we're doomed. If we're right, we live forever. Spurgeon said this. uh, He said, I have a great need for Christ. But thankfully, I have a great Christ for my need. And that's a big need. That is a big need that we have. And thankfully, our Jesus is all-sufficient. We've talked about the vic- all-victorious one, the all-sufficient one. We need to talk about the almighty one before we close. <laughs> now, in this world we live in, there's another problem that it has. Is sometimes things that look promising aren't that promising, right? Um, I've worked out sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the gym rat, okay? And sometimes when I work out, I feel huge. <laughs> I don't know, your muscles just, once you, once you work out, you feel like the biggest creature on earth, and then you stand in front of the mirror and go, did anything happen? <laughs> it looked exactly the same. And, and that was the guy, I think I told you the story, I was the guy that went to New York City when I was 13 years old and, and was whisked away by that guy with the briefcase. He opened up the briefcase, and he said, I'm selling Rolex watches for $15. And I said, wow, you are a nice man. You were so nice to sell me these Rolex watches for 15 here, here, take my $15, and I'll pick out a Rolex. And I came all excited to my parents to tell them that I bought a Rolex watch for $15. My parents looked at me with like this, like, we hate to tell you this, Todd, but the reason your wrist is green, the reason it's smoking, the reason it says Rolex is because it's fake, Todd, and I bought a fake Rolex watch. And sadly, that's the world we live in. And the world that we live in is, is very enamored by very shallow things, aren't we? Every year comes out a new shiny toy with a little bit better this, a little bit better that. And it's, it's, it captures the audiences. Wow, amazing. Wow, yes, I need to go spend my harder money on that because this is the best the world can come up with. And it should make us sad because we're deeper than that, aren't we? Or we should be. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, listen, our passions are not too strong. They are too weak, for we are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? You know it's a good sermon when he puts Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis in the same sermon. That's a strong one. We are far too easily pleased. Our souls are deep. They've been made that way. We are made to feel hollow and shallow when we fill our souls with anything insignificant. Insignificant. Because God made it that way. Because who is it made for? It's made for Jesus. He says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of man, which we do, and sometimes that's not wrong to listen to man. Because sometimes man knows what they're talking about. Sometimes man has been to school, they have experience, and they know what they're talking about. So if we receive the testimony of man, John says the testimony of God is greater it's always greater than man. No matter what man says, no matter what man claims, no matter what man gives their life to, check with God. Check with God. What does God say? Because God's testimony is always greater than man's testimony. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. This is God who said, follow Jesus. And we're going to look at that here in a little bit. Maybe you guys have heard of one of these companies. You guys ever heard of any of these companies? I'm guessing one of them is at least graced your your mind at one point. You've heard of it? She fun of me. She's making fun of you. Who's heard of Excite? Let's see some hands. <laughs> Dave, you? Who's heard of Google? Let's see some hands. Yes. Do you know why that is? Because Google is huge and Excite is non-existent. But in the early 90s, it would have been reversed. Did you know that? In the early 90s, it would have been Excite you would have heard of and Google you never would have heard of. Because in the early 90s, Excite was huge and Google barely existed. But Google in the early 90s was a search engine just like they are today. They were gaining some followers, getting pretty popular. And Excite was the big one. Excite was the Google back in the day. They were the one everyone was using. And so Google was getting some followers. They decided to test their worth and they went into the offices of Excite and said, you guys can buy us. Excite, you can buy Google, the whole company, for a million dollars. That's exactly what happened. They went to Excite's office and said, You can buy the company for a million dollars. The whole thing. And guess what Excite did? They laughed at them. They scoffed at Google and said, Get out of our office, you're nothing. We're the big guy. Do you know what Google's worth is today? It's estimated, and I think it might be bigger than this $112 billion. Now, I, I, I just want to have a meeting with the Excite guys. Just a cup of coffee. And say, guys, what were you thinking? Guys, what, what did that feel like? What does it feel like now to know that you passed on one of the biggest companies in the world? And, and it's little an illustration, okay? But you understand what John is going today. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made God a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And the illustration is this. Back in the early 90s, Excite wanted nothing to do with Google. Today, does it matter to Google? Google doesn't care. Google Google doesn't think about Excite anymore because Google won. Man rejects Jesus often. And God says, He's everything. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can listen to man, or you can listen to God. It's that simple. John is telling us, if you understand the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of God lives within you, inside of you. And that's something that we can all understand today, that we have the testimony of God within us, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And you remember doubting Thomas, he said this, after Jesus rose from the grave, he said, "Unless I see the nail marks in His hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe." And thankfully, God had mercy on doubting Thomas, because doubting Thomas did see Jesus. He did put his hands and his nail marks in his side, and he did believe. But John and Jesus and God do not want us waiting until the last day to figure out that Jesus is the Christ, doesn't he? Because it will be too late. And God has given us all the time we need. He's bending over backwards so that we understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we give our lives to him because he's all we need. Just one more illustration, or excuse me, one more cross reference I want to share with you. This is the passage of the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. If you guys remember this passage where Jesus takes his his inner circle, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and In verse 1 of Matthew 17, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain to themselves. A hike. They went on a hike together. And he was transfigured. Jesus was before them. He showed his glory. He showed his glory to Peter, James, and John in a moment on the mountain. It says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Now, what would that must have looked like? For Peter, James, and John to see Jesus as he actually looks like in heaven. Mind-blowing. But they saw it for a moment. And something else cool happens. In verse 3, Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. A big party happens. Moses comes back. Elijah is there talking with Jesus. And Peter and James and John are experiencing this whole thing. What an amazing thing. Jesus transfigures. There's Moses. There's Elijah. And Peter has a fantastic idea in verse 4. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here, all of us, if you wish I will make three tents here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah and we can have the best sleepover ever it'll be amazing (laughs) Peter, that's not a bad idea, I mean that sounds pretty cool I think I would come to that idea too, I can't really blame Peter, Jesus, Moses Elijah, Peter, James, and John what an amazing night that would be to spend together just talking and fellowshipping together and this is the response Peter gets to that in verse 5 it says as he was still speaking behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him why is God doing that? he's setting Jesus beyond and apart from Moses and Elijah and Peter, James and John he's not like them he's better, he's all-sufficient, he's almighty, he's the all-victorious one. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified, as you would be. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. The point was not fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, notice the parallel, they saw no one but Jesus only. Do you think that made a mark? For Peter to go, wow. I thought Peter, Moses, uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they were all on equal terms, pretty close. Maybe Jesus is a little bit above them. But now I understand. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus. From beginning to end, from first to last. And it was God who declared that his son was everything. He's everything. He's all. He's all you need. There is no other. Don't look to anyone else. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Boy, if we don't do that by now, there's something wrong with us. Because we've been told time and time again how valuable, how important, how sufficient Jesus is. And now God tells us again this morning. And I love this psalm, Psalm 34, 8, where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. He is good in everything. He's good in everything. And all you need to do to experience that is taste and see. Sample Him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord Jesus. The psalmist even knew that. He didn't even know his name. He didn't even know Jesus' name. But he knew that the Lord was good and he was going to taste of him and he was going to build his life upon him. Here's the slide I didn't mean for you to see, but you did see, and now we're back to it. Where would we be? I mean, this is, this is kind of the crux of what we're talking about today is with or without Jesus. Because if you take all the things we just talked about and you, and you put me or you or all of us in the same scenario where Jesus is, look how, look how it turns out. You put me against the world, what does it result in? Defeat. You put me in my own, what does it result in? Death. You ask me to rely on my own power, what does it result in? Despair. But if you change one article, notice how it changes. Jesus versus the world results in victory me with Jesus results in hope and joy forever relying on his power equals eternal life by changing one article everything changes everything Everything, everything in this life, everything in eternity changes by changing one article from me to him. And that's what John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. I got to get out of the way and I got to let Jesus take over. That's what John the Baptist said. And we come to one conclusion today. There's nothing else we need but Jesus. And this is why you're going to hear the same thing over and over at Crossroads because there's nothing else to share with you. It's always Jesus. It's only Jesus from beginning to end, from first to last. We're going to declare this as strongly as we can because I believe it and have tested it. And as we close today, if Jesus is all we need, we don't have to look to the world to satisfy us because, number one, they can't. And number two, we have everything we need in Jesus. And I hope you understand that. I hope you believe that. I hope you've tasted of that. The world cannot satisfy it. Number two, we don't have to live for what's temporary because ours is eternal. And simply by its very design, by its very nature, everything that God gives us is better than anything the world can grant us. Number three, we will not be victims anymore. We will be victors eternally in Jesus. If Jesus is all we have, Jesus is all we need. We have full satisfaction, we have eternity, and we are victors forevermore. What's the point? The point is this, I don't know your soul. I struggle with my own sometimes trying to figure that out, but I thankfully God helps me, but I can't know your soul. I can't know if you believe. I can't know if you depend upon Jesus Christ. I don't know that. You have to figure that out yourselves. But I do know one thing God wants you to. That's why He sent Jesus. So that all of us could have life and hope and peace and confidence and joy forevermore. Is Jesus all you need? Have you discovered the victory that he gives by tasting and seeing? I have. That's why I'm standing here today. I've tasted of that victory in my life over sin and evil and darkness and anxiety and fear. I've tasted of it. He's real. Number two, have you witnessed his sufficiency in your life? Because once you have Jesus, you need nothing else. There's nothing this world can give me. There's nothing this world can can flash in front of me say, look, you need this. This is so shiny and so exciting. And I go, well, I have already everything I need in Jesus. I have everything I need in Jesus. Have you seen his power on display? I came up to Dave and Phyllis this morning and gave him a big hug and I said, how are you guys doing? And he said, we're great. And I said, well, that's strange. You just experienced a huge loss this week. And I go, well, we'll see him again. He's still alive. He's with our Lord Jesus. They've seen his power on display. So have I. Have you? Have you seen the victory? Have you seen his sufficiency? Have you seen his power? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because scripture says these two things and it says them unashamedly. In John 15, 5, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And then Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are our options today. All or nothing. Nothing without Jesus. And all with Jesus. And the song that we grew up singing says this, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Do you stand on Jesus today? If you don't, would you stand on Jesus today? Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today. And it is a reminder, but it's a powerful reminder, Father, that we need only Jesus, only Jesus. This world's so topsy-turvy, it makes us look to the right and to the left and to chase things that can't satisfy us and can never satisfy us. When all we need is the all-victorious, all-sufficient, almighty one. Father, remind us today that he alone can satisfy, he alone can conquer, he alone can grant us eternal life and grant us cleansing of our sins. Father, I pray for the souls in this room who have not yet experienced that victory and that power and that sufficiency. And I ask that by your spirit you would awaken them today to see Jesus only and say, you, Christ, you, Jesus, are all I need. And to hand their life over to Jesus so that everything would change from bad to good. We thank you we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.